Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Screen Pal lovers, so excited to be welcoming back Tim Miller, who has podcast with me before. You know, Tim and I are going to do a podcast regularly. We're not quite sure what the definition of that's going to mean yet, but where we talk about what we've seen, what's up and coming, and then some industry news as well. So I'm really excited uh, to do that. But I wanted to introduce Tim because he's been in about four or five podcasts in the past, but I never actually gave you his credentials. And they're so impressive that I thought I'm just going to give him that impressive moment. So welcome, Tim. And I'm going to introduce you now. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you're the co-president now of the Boston Society of Film Critics. Um, You were the Cape Cod Times film credit for almost 36 years. Now you write a film column for Cape Cod Wave magazine. But in addition to reviewing more than 4,000 films in your career, you've interviewed people like Oprah Winfrey, Lee Rimmick, Robert Duvall, Norman Mailer to say nothing of Big Bird. Okay, so a Detroit native like me, although I'm from Bloomfield Hills, which is sort of the rich, nutty section, and you're not, right? That's right. (laughs) But Bloomfield Hills is beautiful. Love, love Well, it is. But, you know, out of 457 people in my graduating class, there was one person of color. So I'm not sure I got a real, I'm not really sure I got an education. But anyway, you're a hardcore Tigers fan. Um, But here's the part that I just love. So you've been obsessed with movies since skipping school in 1962 to see Lawrence of Arabia when yep. you were seven with your parents, which makes me like your parents a lot. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, um, my parents were movie obsessed. My dad was more uh, really? sort of, uh, my dad was like John Wayne. My dad was a combination of John Wayne and Fred Flintstone. He was, <laughs> he really was. He was funny. But he was kind of a, you know, macho guy, too. But well, he, Lawrence of Arabia, Fred Flintstone and John Wayne have nothing to do with. Oh, well, I know. I yeah, know. But, but the action part. But my yeah, mom. But he had depth. Yeah. Yeah. My mom uh, was more. Uh, her favorite movies from the 60s were The Misfits and Midnight Cowboy. So my mom was had more of the artistic taste. And my dad was more. Sands of Iwo Jima, and he would tell me who Dane Clark and and John Agar and all these, you know, uh, Richard Jekyll and all these. Eclectic, uh, eclectic parents, you know? Yeah. So um, they would, they, you know they who would else think... was totally obsessed with Lawrence of Arabia? What's that? Do you know who else was totally obsessed with Lawrence of Arabia? Oh, I just read somewhere, but go ahead. Who? No, you have to guess. Oh, okay. Uh, who was obsessed with Lawrence of Arabia? I'm trying. Oh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, you're right. Oh my God. Yeah. Did you read, did you hear that interview where he talked about why it made him want to make films and how the main character for him, it was just, I can't remember exactly even how he said it. I should have looked it up because I knew when I read this from you, I was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, so you're in good company. Well, he, uh, Spielberg and 
really what he talked about is what I talked to my students about as far as Lawrence of Arabia. What makes it great is that, I mean, it's clearly an epic and, and visually is just stunning. I mean, I took my kids to see it at Brook, you know, on the big screen when they were kids saying, you know, you've got to see this movie on the big screen. But it's also a character study. And about, a, as Spielberg put, somebody who doesn't really understand who he is and is defined by other people, but it's this really in-depth psychological study. And he was talking about how, so you would think it would be a, a movie with a lot of close-ups, and there are close-ups of Lawrence, but in the context of this incredible epic movie, I mean, that's what makes it so brilliant is, is that it do, can do both. and. When Spielberg, it actually made me respect Spielberg more hearing <laughs> him talk about it because it's like, wow, okay. And sometimes I sell Spielberg a little bit short. I think of him as good intentions, but a little too slick for my taste. Really? He actually is a pretty deep thinker. <laughs> oh, my, oh, totally. You yeah. know, if you look at also the amount of work that he puts into any film that he does, you know, yeah. so that's so very true. But it's so funny because that leads into one of the things we're going to be talking about when we do meet is industry news. Yeah. And so we're going to talk today about remakes that are coming up and also this big debate about should they be there, should they not, et cetera. Okay, well, then I have to ask, what do you think about should they be making a remake Remake of Lauren? I mean, in other words, here's you, here's Spielberg, all these people saying such a major film in terms of, yeah. it, I mean, w- would you... If you heard they were making a remake, what would your response be? That's too bad. <laughs> but which is so funny because that's why I want to talk about remaking. Is I was on Clubhouse and there were a couple hundred people in there and very very passionate, committed, totally consumed film people, and they're so upset. There's going to be a remake of Vertigo, and people were yeah. going nuts. Rosemary's Baby is going to be remade. There's a lot of remake stuff coming out now. One of the things I'm going to talk about that's coming out in April is a remake. Okay. And their thing is, you know, it's all about money because if they remake, people will come and that's why they're doing it. And I'm like, well, what if it's not? What if these remakes are because, A, if I'm a great filmmaker, I want to be held up and accountable to some of the great films of all time. So I want to remake one of them and see how I fare against it. Because in today's world, Vertigo today is a different movie. And so me bringing today's point of view, today's issues, everything to that kind of brilliance is exciting for me, challenging for me and something I want to do. Like that's where I came out. I was the only one on the panel, by the way, who felt that way? But so, do you, are you against remakes of things like Vertigo and stuff? Are you? Do you think it's all about capitalism? I think for the most part, it's all about capitalism. Not always. Yeah. Um, I think well, it's safe. That, it's safe to do a remake. Well, it is. I mean, you know, it's it's like okay. I mean, we could do a whole show on why Hollywood <laughs> plays it safe. You know, between remakes, you know, anything familiar, they think okay, if we give people the familiar. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to think. They want to know. Our audiences want to know what they're getting beforehand, which is why we can tell the whole story in a trailer, because they don't care. If anything, they'll like it because then they don't have to think. And I think I think that Hollywood sells audiences short for that reason, That uh, which is why when a, a really challenging film 
does well, I, I just celebrate that so much. It's like, see Hollywood, people want to think. People want to think. They want to be challenged. I get it that people go, you know, and there's a place for this in movies too, but, you know, where people are exhausted after a week, uh, you know, working so hard all week and with life being so stressful. So I just want to go to a movie and just be very passive and just let it wash over me. And, but but I think a lot By the way, of- I don't think you've ever gone to a movie that I know from everything you've reviewed in my conversation yeah. with you. Where you go in and you're just passively taking. Oh, I never want to be that because that—that's yeah. like to me that's um, it's an insult to movies. It's an insult to me. I mean, I people used to come up to me and say, "Oh, I'm not like you. I want to be entertained by movies," and I would say, "I want to be entertained too." But thinking is entertainment for me. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking. Why are the two? Mutually exclusive. That's crazy. Yeah, my friend Tim is a deep sea diver. I'm much more of a water skier, but at the same time, I am rarely going to any movie these days. And I'm not going to as many movies, but I'm I'm thinking more carefully. But I rarely go where I don't come out. And it doesn't stay with me for quite a while. And I think about a lot of things about it. But also you and I reviewed Little Women, which we're gonna we're gonna put that up on the website so you can go back and listen to it if you want, which was a remake. But Greta's remake of Little Women, which I watched again a month or two ago. I told you when we were talking about doing this. And, oh, my God, her perspective about the women in Little Women, which when Little Women was originally written, she wasn't allowed to put that perspective of feminism into it or it wouldn't have gotten published. Right. And she brought what was clearly the intention of Alcott, you know, as she brought the film to life. I think it's the best little women out there now. But I didn't, so I don't, I, I think that's such a great example of how a remake is a good thing. It yeah, could. and that's a, that is a great example. I also really, I mean, Little Women has been, let's see, there was a one in the 1930s with Catherine Hepburn. There was one in the 50s with June Allison. Oh, there were four altogether. Uh, Wait, maybe five. We talked about yeah. it back then. I don't remember. Because then Winona, I, I love the one with Winona Ryder that uh, Gillian Ant- Anderson, uh, Australian filmmaker, made in the 90s. I think that's a great movie. Um, I think I Little Women. I don't think I saw that. Should I? Oh, you should. Yeah, it's excellent. Okay. Gabriel yeah. Burns in it. I mean, really, really good movie. In fact, I don't. I might like that even more than Greta Gerwig's. And I'm with you though that the Gerwig's movie is is excellent. I do think I, I'm not totally against remakes. I'm definitely not. You know, Little Women. I that's a great example. I uh, another one is uh, Pride and Prejudice. I loved the version so with uh, with Karen Knightley and so Matthew I. McFadden. And you know, it had been made in 1940 with Greer Garson and Lawrence Olivier, yep. and that was a great version too. But that one, an updating, you know, for some reason, oh, my gosh, uh, the author, uh, Jane Austen, she lends herself to re- repetition to being, you know, remakes. I mean, you, you know, you, Pride and Prejudice has been done as TV. Well, mini- even Emma was redone. There are a number yeah. of uh, Jane Austen. A lot of her stuff is redone. But I yeah. guess what's bothering me is that of that group that was in Clubhouse, and I'm telling you, there were a couple hundred people there. Yeah. I was the only one that was trying to defend the premise and it seems to me that one of the things that's happening as reviewers and all of us are sort of looking at things 
out in Hollywood is if money is anywhere around it, it's a tax. You know, yes. Is it a safety valve to do a remake? Because everybody knows it and so you can get people to go see it. Yes, that's true. But that doesn't mean there's no worth there. And if I'm a filmmaker, I want to go up against the greatest, which means I'd probably pick a movie that was great and say, I'd like to I'd like to revisit that. So it's it's an interesting topic. It it is. I mean, there's um, uh, Gus Van Zandt did a remake of Psycho and it was almost shot for shot. He had. What's his name? Vaughn. Oh, my gosh. The guy from uh, Swingers. Vaughn. I can't think of the guy's name. Anyway, he he. it was a shot for shot remake of Psycho. And it was like, why? Why make this? Why make it shot for shot? It might have been fun for Gus Van Zandt. Oh, interesting. As, as an you're, expert. About, you're talking about Vince Vaughn, I think. Pardon? Vince Vaughn. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, it might have... Um, it might I you could you could watch it and go, this must have been fun for Gus Van Sant, but it isn't fun for me. Well, not only that, it means that he didn't he he's not at that level. You know, to me, like if you're gonna go up against that level, you better be damn well being able to bring your own point of view. And yeah. so if you can't bring that expertise there, then no offense, you lost that round and you don't get to move on to the next one, you yeah. know. Yeah. Well, like Spielberg did a great job, I thought, with West Side Story. So there's another example where um, I, you know, I think we talked about this. I'm not now. You didn't like it? No. I mean, I it's not like one of my favorite movies, but I thought when I first heard about it, I'm like, I had that reaction of like, why would you want to do a remake? Okay, well, in the first West Side story, once again, Tony was a white boy and she was a white girl. Yeah, Yeah. he made he made the mistake, you know, Ansel Elgord, who whose sister is my daughter's best friend from childhood. Oh, you cool. know, yeah. Um, he shouldn't have been Tony. Mm. You know, yeah, I know a lot of people. I thought he was okay, but a lot of, you know. No, I mean, but but look, if you're going to go up against it, then you've yeah. got to bring today's world to it. Yeah. Which means that you can't, in today's world with diversity opportunity the way it is, you've got yeah. the actors who can, who can, I mean, that's not but I thought most of the people that he had cast worked well in the in the roles. Well, uh, that, who, who's who's the music guy who wrote? He died, I think, before the movie came out. Who wrote the music for West Side Story with Bernstein? He saw Ansel Elgort in the elevator after yeah. when they were taping this. Do you, do you ever read about this? No. Ansel was not cutting it musically. Oh. He saw him in the elevator and he said... You've got to sing better. <laughs> By the way, I don't know how you're going to get out of that if someone does it. Again, you can't, you know, the music is so critical. Yeah. You know, they, they dubbed in for Maria for, you know. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just let his guard down. You know, he should have called Lin-Manuel and asked him, you know, who should play Tony? Give me somebody. Yeah. You know, yeah. it shouldn't have been done the way it was done. Anyway. Yeah. All right. We digress and we've got to yeah. move on to our days. but. So I love this conversation about it. We'd love to hear from you out there if you, you know, what remakes you're looking forward to. And don't tell anybody. Please don't tell anybody. But I never saw Vertigo. Oh, my God. Well, you you have to see it. I Well, I mean, clearly I will. That is, that is an essential movie because as, if for no other reason than to show how just how much of an artist Alfred Hitchcock was. Vertigo is so incredibly deep it's so deep and it's still so relevant like i don't 
As far as remaking Vertigo, I don't think it's necessary because it's still so relevant. It doesn't need an updating. It's about human nature and and how we try to remake, you know, I love you, but now I want you to change to conform to my idea of you. Well, I mean, how interesting you should say that because I think I have no desire to see Hitchcock, nor did I ever, because the feminist in me, you know, he's as bad as Weinstein. His treatment mm. of women was assaultive. It was yeah. abusive. It was sexually, he belongs in jail. You yeah. know, he could have the cell next to, to Harvey. Yeah. So from my perspective, I don't, I have a hard time looking at anything he's doing now. Oh, do you mean, are you, do you mean Hitchcock? I mean, or Woody Allen? I mean, who are you? I'm talking about I'm talking about Hitchcock. Oh, okay. Because I mean, he's been dead for forty years. I know, but his abuse of women. Was oh, so like, if he were still alive, he would be. Yeah, okay. I was. Sorry. Yeah, no. My thing is like he belongs in jail. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's that great line in the film with. I mean, it reminds me of Notting Hill. You know, when she's in the bookstore, and the, there's somebody who's stolen a book, and he's a, and he asks her to um, autograph his book that he's now buying rather than stealing or he gives her a piece of paper to autograph or whatever. And she says, he says, what did you write? And she says, I wrote, I wrote, you belong in jail. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. I mean, I have, I have a hard time with Hitchcock for that very reason. I don't know. I just do. Yeah, I, I get that. But, and, and, but uh, you know, and I know this is sort of stating the obvious, which is my gift. Uh, but uh, you know, separating the artist, if we, Stop watching movies because we don't like the filmmaker. We won't watch very many movies because there's a well, lot. I don't have to like the filmmaker, but there's a line that's crossed when the yeah. filmmaker belongs in jail you know, yeah. for abuses in an industry that was known to do. You know, rape in, in Hollywood is, you know, went yeah. along with getting a job. So, yeah. but I, I know exactly what you're saying. And, you know, by the way, I, I probably won't go to the, any more Woody Allen movies. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I I have a hard time with it. So I recognize what you're saying totally. But from yeah. my perspective, Hitchcock, I have such a revolting vision of him that I just don't want to give anybody one dime by watching anything. That I, got, I got you. Yeah. The, yeah. The thing with Vertigo is, you know, it, it, it could in some ways you in knowing his history, in some ways, it's almost autobiographical. I mean, filmmakers say that all films autobiographical anyway, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's the, the main character is so disturbed. So, but there's so much to learn from that in this movie. It's not like we're supposed to celebrate the main character. We're supposed to be um, really kind of conflicted about the main character and and see those flaws and wrestle with them and maybe see those flaws in ourselves. As far as, you know, well, because it really gets down to what's our, you know, our concepts of love and, and, okay, if I love this, do I love this person or I do, do I love what I've created in my mind is this person? If, if we love the person for themselves, how come everybody doesn't just love this one person? If we think this one person's the best person in the world, and, and by the way, no one else is married to the best person in the world because I am. <laughs> but well, there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. But but it's like okay, is it what we've created in our mind, and and do we do we try to purposely change this person, which is so perverse? Then you know, it's like okay, it's, you know, so we're trying to mold them into, and then it's just it's 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 almost a kind of um, 
love is masturbation in a way, you know, where it's like, okay, this is just, this is all about me fulfilling a fantasy. This has absolutely nothing to do with the person. Actually, now I'm going to watch Vertigo because if you, it's the minute you said autobiographical, you had me at hello, because then I'm going to watch it from that perspective and I'll be able to nail them every time. So I definitely yeah. will watch it. But yeah. you, now we're going to move on to just, to, you know, because we're already way over our time already. Yeah. We're going to talk about a movie we both saw that just came out and uh, last Friday, and that is Air. Uh-huh. Okay. Now. Okay, talk about having a bias based on your own personal experience. You know, I'm in marketing. So anybody who's in marketing, Air is, is the, um, you know, in, in 1984, a young Michael Jordan signed what was then the NBA's most lucrative sneaker deal with Nike. The Air Jordan line was this culturally shifting juggernaut, impacting not just business of sports, but fashion, celebrity, hip hop. and I mean, it, it's everything. And Nike, by the way, is still held up as this, the company to watch in terms of how to do it, sort of like Apple and, you know, Apple was. So, so here we have, once again, a lot of white people putting together this presentation of air, which is part of my problem with that. I mean, let's face it, Michael Jordan, we see him three times and only from behind. I'm like, was he even in the film? No, he wasn't. You know, thank God for Viola Davis, who, by the way, I'm so proud as a woman, you know, she really showed that she was the brains behind everything and never needed anybody to know it, you know. But so so here's this this movie about Nike done by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, who, you know, everybody was so excited because, you know, let's face it, they haven't done anything since they won the Academy Award for. Oh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. So. I was very excited for it. The reviews are raving, raving, raving. I got to start with you. I know you liked it. Tell me what, you know, where do you start from in terms of what was so fabulous about it? It reminded me of another sports, the the business behind sports movie, Moneyball, uh, with Brad Pitt. Best where movie ever. Of, I love that film. I did too. And, and it was, but it was all about strategy and, uh, kind of trying to change a culture, uh, an internal culture within a business. And it was just, I just found it fascinating and fun and funny. And I thought air was, was like that too. Oh, it, it reminded me a lot about Moneyball. And I, you know, I, I thought it was funny. I don't think it's deep. I, I mean, and I think it's going to be interesting what we talk about. I know you didn't like it and I want to know, I'm really curious why well, I just think it will be interesting. I and I kind of get it. Well, it's funny because you're it's Moneyball. I hadn't even thought of Moneyball, which I rewatched two weeks ago. Yeah. But we had Brad Pitt in there playing the main leading character. Right. So it, it's based on again on a true story in terms of how basically data and computers and everything else started to drive how these baseball uh teams are put together. If you haven't seen Moneyball, you should see it. And also written by Aaron Sorkin, who oh, right. is, in my mind, the best writer of our generation, for sure, in terms of film and television. So I was all in from Hello. But yeah. I hadn't made that correlation. But what's the similarities, you're right. They're um, both are based on true stories. But the difference is the protagonist in Moneyball, Brad Pitt, is somebody I really like. Yeah. I trusted. He was doing the right thing. 
you know, Nike doesn't do the right thing. You know, so and what disturbed me so much about this film is the same thing that disturbs me about my country and politics right now. And then it's all based on fake news. So if you watch this, you think that Nike has this great, it bothers me because the impression you're left with is not the truth. I mean, we have to look at the Nike situation. I mean, I don't know. You know who Allison Felix is? No. Okay. She's, she's one of the most decorated runners of all time. And she's been a dominant force in track for the United States for the past 19 years. She was mm -hmm. on the Nike contract. She got pregnant and Nike met with her and said, we're going to cut your salary 70% because there's no way you can perform for the next year the way you did the past year. Mm. So because you're pregnant. Yeah. And by the way, they've done this to every woman athlete, Nike, since the beginning of time. Yeah. yeah. Nike. But she was the first one to say, no, you're not. Um, I quit. Yeah. And she went to Adidas. And because of the campaign that was done, Adidas came out of the doldrums because every woman started buying Adidas because Allison Felix's situation and because of how beloved she is. And then all of a sudden, Nike started doing these ads about how pregnant women are great athletes. And I mean, it's like Darth Vader. And here's this movie where Ben and, you know, his buddies put together this incredibly entertaining, you know, we were talking about that before, entertaining, entertaining film that I think makes you walk away. I think Nike's sales will soar. I think their stock will soar. I think their currency in the world will soar. And it just bothers me. Yeah, that's but enough. film... I also felt that it would, you know, it was way, it was just not, it was just like all over the place. I mean, even that opening, that opening of, you know, showing us what was going on at, in during these times, you know, we were yeah. on the streets of New York in the eighties or when it or was it? Yeah. Actually, when was it? It would have been actually would have been, I believe nineties. I can't remember now, but either way, it was like, I don't know. I didn't, I hated that opening. I felt like, you're trying to set the stage, but it's just heavy handed and it's not well done. And then it went to something else and then it went to something else. And then we've got Ben and we've got, you know, with his beard and, you know, what's that about? And, then you know, <laughs> Michael Jordan, shouldn't he be in it more? And thank God for Viola Davis. Thank God. Yeah, she was great. In it. Uh, well, I think the not showing Jordan was certainly a, a very, very conscious choice, probably from the get go. And Is that because they, it wouldn't look like him and no one would believe it was him? Why do you think? No, I think because they were, well, I'm just guessing. I haven't read about why they made that choice. Um, my guess would be that they wanted the focus to be elsewhere, that it's like, it's almost like Michael Jordan is God in this movie and you're making a movie about religion, but you're not showing God, you know, you're not showing God's reaction or whatever. I, I think there, I think that was a conscious choice. And I think but, it was a do you think it was a good choice? Yeah, I li I liked it. I didn't. I think it could have oh, been a. Why? I think it could have been a, a distraction. Otherwise, like, oh, who's playing Michael Jordan? Why? Why did they choose him and that? And it's really not. It's not. It's what he represents, not not who he is. That is um, relevant to the story. It's more about the striving of the Matt Damon character and fighting against the odds. And I mean, for me, well, there's a couple things, and it's all context. One is it's interesting to hear you talk about it, and, and it's sort of related to what you were saying about Hitchcock too. I think that 
usually what I do is I take a movie and, you know, you can view it in the context of the times and that. And I don't think there's a wrong way of doing it, but I think I'm looking at the movie more. This is the movie. It's self-contained. And like, I don't worry. I don't come out of that movie thinking any more about Nike. Like, I don't think, oh, gee, Nike's great. I th- I don't believe it because I'm skeptical, you know, and, and it's like, okay, uh, you know, it. I don't even care really about that world either. But the story for what it is, I like the passion of the guy who creates shoes, the guy that gets really excited. By the way, I've heard he's an amazing, I mean, he, in a lot of the Nike products, he also went outside the box for the first Nike running shoe, which was very unusual for a running shoe it was like out of the box, out of the box. Yeah. No, that's interesting. But uh, did you really feel it was about him? I didn't really feel that. Well, it's sort of like, uh, yes, I do. I think it's about him, you know, where uh, taking a chance, you know, I like movies like say the graduate where if you really look at Benjamin Braddock really loved Elaine or is, is he in the graduate or is he just kind of, you know, she's just, I, I'm pretty sure they're divorced now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, but it's like, but it's it's not even what he's trying for. It's like that he just, he reaches a point where, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. And like following your passion, sometimes what your passion is, is almost irrelevant. It's just the, the striving. I love that. And so that appealed to me as far as the Matt Damon, where he's yeah. taking this huge chance, putting his ass on the line. I don't think, I'll throw in one negative thing right here, though is that I do think that toward the end, he looks around at his fellow employees who, because he's been successful, he's saved them. And I think that that's a false moment because I don't think there's no indication before then that he cares about anybody but himself and his dream. So this whole idea of, oh, all these people have been saved by my courage or whatever, or my, you know, I thought that was uh, a false step. but. But I like that about the movie, that part of it. Also, in terms of context, like I, it makes me think of movies or TV shows like Downton Abbey, which I love. Now, a lot of people won't watch Downton Abbey because it, they think, well, it's about, about a bunch of snobs. Why would I want to watch this aristocratic? Yeah, the entire downstairs was totally interesting to me, much more so than the upstairs. Well, me too. Me too. But I mean, you know, but there are people who won't watch no, there are. Yeah. the values expressed. But to me, the fact that like Maggie Smith's character, for her to refer to a chauffeur by his first name would is like in the context is a huge step. Now, in reality, personally, I find that ludicrous, you know, that kind of pomposity or whatever you want to call it. It's ludicrous. But in the context of the movie or the show, it's moving to me or. um Sopranos. It's all gangsters. Why would we want to watch a movie where about all these horrible people? But or Tarantino movies are like this too, where it's all horrible people, but some are a lot worse than others. And so you find yourself rooting for somebody who's essentially bad, but not as bad as some of the other people. So with air, it's like, you know, I I don't I choose not to. I've never been driven by money. I really haven't. 
as a result, when you're not driven by money, you always end up having to think about it because you don't have any. And by the way, it becomes much more important when you're not, by the way. I, I, I know. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, it is the reality is that it is. But like the like, oh, you know, so these people with, you know, oh, sneak. It's all about sneakers and that. I wasn't looking forward to this movie because it's like, I don't care about this. I just don't care. But in the context. The the way Matt Damon's character has to keep fighting and and even though you know how it's going to end, I still found that entertaining. Well, by the way, I, no, uh, that was fascinating. And I didn't. There's been a couple books out actually, which I never read, but yeah. I certainly know the Nike story probably better than you because I'm in marketing, right? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I, you know, it's funny you compared it to Moneyball, where for me the difference between Moneyball and air is that Moneyball's protagonists were really good people and the sidekick who's who's brought oh, that the jonah hill character oh my god i think that's his best role ever by yeah, he's great yeah. Yeah. yeah okay what i compared it to and i'm surprised it's so funny you compared it to Moneyball, and, and i felt like they were those are dissonant because there were good people in Moneyball, and there were not in in air if you ask me but you know my Show me the, who says Ooh, oh, the movie you were going to compare it to. Yeah. Show me the money. Who says show me the money? Oh, yeah. Me too. Jerry Maguire. Right. So the, the movie I compared it to was Jerry Maguire. Yeah. And that and would be- what comes out to me is to me, those are much more parallel characters than out of Moneyball because you've got this guy, show me the money, right. and, which, by the way, he does it in this entertaining and engaging way. And therefore, you don't hate him. But the truth is, the sentiment behind it is against everything you just said you believe in, which is I've never been driven by money. Okay. Now, but both show me the money guy, I forget his name, and Cuba Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. Yeah. But they all both had these women behind them who they. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's Viola Davis, her approach to that role was so well done, as yeah. was the woman who was in Show Me the Money right. uh, wife. You know, right. she's like, you're about our family, and this is family. And one of the things that I loved about that film, and that, again, it was done so well, is I love the family unity about trying to get enough money to live a good life. or what Yeah, they- oh, you uh, and Jerry Maguire? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I think you're right. Uh, Regina, um, not King, uh, Regina. Yeah, it was Regina King. Yes. So Regina King. Oh, I, I yeah, love yeah. I love her in that movie. And and yeah. you're right. It's like he's saying, show me the money. But there is more depth there because it isn't money for money's sake. It's money for his family. He's a well, family. It's for this, you know, the safety and future of his family. Right, right. Him expose himself to the concussions that surely are plaguing him now. Right. You know, I guess my point is. So for me, Air and Jerry Maguire is so parallel. Yeah. But Jerry Maguire, again, Jerry was a good guy. And I didn't I don't think they made these guys good guys. So I couldn't root for them. So I never during the, the reason I think I didn't love this film, and I could have, even yeah. though I have I have a bias toward Nike because I'm, you know, that's the girl in me, but but I couldn't root for them because I don't think they made those characters with the exception of Viola, I don't think they made them likable enough. And in today's world, I got to like somebody to want them to win. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because I don't like anybody now. I don't know about you, but I don't know. 
I mean, I can't watch the news. I can't, you know, I just yeah. don't want to go there anymore. I just can't. So yeah. me, I go into the film and I'm like, I want to like this guy. Yeah. Did you yeah. like See, I, I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. Um, that's because you're a smart boy and I'm. No, that's not. No, it's, I'm it's, totally it. driven by my gut and my feelings. And they got well, in the way on this one, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, another thing though, and again, this involves context is we all bring something to the table when we go to a movie and what you, everything that you said, like you Moneyball, I love baseball. You might too. I love baseball. So if Moneyball struck a false note, a friend of mine told me I'm really hard on baseball movies because I love baseball so much and Moneyball rang true to me. So that was one reason why I embraced it with, uh, with your knowledge of marketing and, and your understanding of business, which I am ignorant when it comes to that, I don't By the know. Way, it ran true to me. That is the way it was. But but still knowing that context and like if I like for example if uh, I don't know knowing that context I think certainly you're going in with uh, with a more informed opinion about Nike. That's so true. But it, I have to, in a movie I have to like and want whoever is struggling to win. I have to like them enough to want them to win. Yeah, I don't find I didn't find Ben Affleck, you know, or Matt Damon all that likable enough that I wanted to get behind them. The other problem I have is, you know, and I think this is a problem of social media and the world in which we live. And that is they're so overexposed, both of them, that it's hard to see. It's hard to see him on the screen and not think about J-Lo and their marriage. I mean, it's yeah. very hard to get into the film yeah. Really immerse yourself into it because these people are way overexposed. Matt Damon isn't. Yeah. But 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 Ben Affleck is. Yeah, it's hard and not to be conscious of it, it being Ben I, Affleck. Know, does that make me a shallow person? I don't know. But when no, the not down, at all. It's just it's when just, the lights go down, it was much better when I didn't so much know so much about personal lives. Not yeah. because I'm going to judge them on them, unless of course you're Weinstein, but more because. I just can't see them in the role they're playing. Yeah. I don't, you know, maybe that's well, that, that kind of falls into, um, I mean, life isn't fair. And so, and I tell my students this. My film, I'm still trying to prove that it is, but you're right. You're I, right. I mean, I tell my, my students, it's like, like, you know, we, because we all bring pers- our, our personal backgrounds into something and that it's like, okay, it's not really fair to, to Ben Affleck that, we view that if we see him on the screen, we can't help think. I'm running into that with Tom Hanks, where oh, I know how many roles can this man play? You know, I'm just tired of him. I mean, and he seems like a very nice guy. I of course feel guilty about this reaction, but I'm tired of him. So when I'm writing a review of it, I have to gauge that because I want to be honest, but I also want to be fair. And and it's like, okay, did he give actually? A good- no, you don't. You know, I, that's, you know, we were just talking about this before you we went on air. Yeah. So you don't have to be fair. What you have to be do is authentically say he's taken too many roles. He's been overexposed. He should do less is more. You know, sometimes more is just more. It's not better. Yeah. Someone like him, because he can, takes all those roles. Like, what was the role he took where he played the the numerology guy in, I think it was a series of two. Oh yeah. I know which one you mean. I hated um, those movies. Yeah. Uh, the, By uh, way, da, Vinci, was, da Vinci Code. And he was totally miscast. I love the book. Yeah. When it came out, I was so excited to go to it. And I'm like, 
he got the role because he, you know, they love him. Yeah. And he, it was miscast. Yeah. Sometimes more is just more. It's not bitter. And I think you absolutely can say, Tom, you've overexposed yourself to the point where I'm not comfortable with you on the screen anymore in a new role. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Well, you know what? To, to write that, I think, is fair. It is. You know? totally. So that, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and the most uh, decisions he made, like, I mean, I didn't yeah. think he did some great movies. He's just done too many. But yeah. he's not overexposed himself personally the way Ben, ben Affleck has, you know. Yeah. You know, there's there's all these different ways you could look at it. But I felt like it. So it was hard for me to immerse myself in the film. I didn't love anybody enough to want them to really overcome it all. I don't know. I don't mind when I know the ending. Sometimes I like knowing the ending. So that was it. But when I left, I was like, I'm really glad we're reviewing this because it's being touted as the next great white hope of a great movie. But I just didn't find it to be. Yeah. I mean, this is this is shallow, but I found it very. I just found it very entertaining. I mean, I just, you know, it's not a movie that I think. Uh, I don't think it does it. It delivers any great message other than, you know, what's well, a message? You just got to say, yeah, you go for it. You know, you got to go for it. You know, I mean that that I, I that means. But also, it's also about money. You know, yeah. which you know, which is which is and Moneyball was not just about money. I mean, he was fighting that they were trying to make it about money, but our protagonist was not about money. He was about trying to get the best team he could for the amount of money he had to spend. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. It involved money, but it wasn't just that. Yeah. So anything anything you want to wrap up on that? I think we've sort of uh, visited this enough. I I mean, it was very well cast. You know, I'm glad that Ben Affleck and, and Matt Damon did another movie together. I'm glad. Yeah, they, me too. And they said it was great for them to work together. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah. Good for them. But but it'll be interesting to see uh, where it goes. I think it's going to be big numbers, big numbers, you know. So I think um, so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap up now with I okay. mean, we've gone, you know, we've gone a long time, but I think we're going to wrap up with anything you want to recommend for April. Well, uh, air. <laughs> no. No, you were going to recommend it. It's so funny. And then we're like, no, we're going to review it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll tell you a movie I'm looking forward to. It might turn out to be terrible, but I'm I uh, I'm really looking forward to it is Renfield. It's By the a- way, you wrote me that. And I thought, yeah. I, I, I didn't even look it up. I didn't have time. What- That's okay. Well, Renfield is, is the bug-eating assistant of Dracula, Renfield. And so the, in this remake, uh, this comic remake, uh, Nicholas Holt, the kid that from about a boy, and he's been a lot of stuff lately, the menu he was in, he plays Renfield, who's the assistant of Dracula. And guess who Dracula is? Who? Uh, Nicholas Cage. Really? And Nicholas Cage, he's just like in the trailers that there'll be like a, a quick close up on Dracula and Nicholas Cage, and he'll just go like, I'm hungry. And he's like, He's just overacting. Actually, like, I could see him. You know, I think yeah. Cage can do pretty much anything on the screen. I think he hasn't taken, he hasn't been smart about the roles he's chosen. Yeah. But I think, I think he could definitely play that out. So is this one yeah. of be one of those movies though where they're gonna make three of them in two years? Oh, I don't know. Because it's a comedy. I mean, oh. it's like it's obviously a broad comedy, and and Nicolas Cage is is purposely just going way over the top. Which is why it could grow tiresome. It could turn out to be bad, but the trailers always make me laugh out loud. So 
you know, I, and I love Nick Cage. I, I mean, even when he makes a terrible movie, I laugh just when I see him on screen because I just think he's he just cracks me up. I just love well, him. Well, not only that, I th- again, I think he's a much better actor than he the roles have he's chosen. Oh, yeah. Him. Leaving Las Vegas, he was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think he's a great talent. And again, I think I wish whoever is his agent would have helped him more. Uh, you know, he also did a lot of movies because he needed the money at one point. I yeah. think he was close to bankrupt. So yeah, the stuff he took was just based on dollars and cents. But that's always I think that's a career breaker. I think it's hard to do that. So good. good for him. When is it coming out? Do you know? Uh, April 14th. Oh. So coming up quickly. Yeah. All right. Well, in, April, I think 17th, we've got the last thing he told me. Which was a it was a Reese Witherspoon book, as we know. Reese Witherspoon gets these books early. She reads them. She buys yeah. them. Some of the best work she's done, you know, Big Little Lies, all kinds of stuff have been from those books. I read the last thing he told me two years ago because I'm writing a novel that's coming out at the end of the year, and I wanted to read it. And it's funny because the entire I thought the novel was good. I thought there were a couple things that sort of like that would never happen, but whatever. I'm gonna spend my disbelief but the but what's going to be interesting is the entire novel most of it takes place in her head so she's seeing things and she's talking to herself as does my novel i might add okay i'll be really interested to see how that translates to the screen yeah and the woman in it is jennifer garner so i know a lot of people are going to watch it read between wrist witherspoon again I, I think it's launching i think it's may what they're doing now is like they're launching these things on Friday in the big screen, and then Monday they're going right to screen to streaming. So yeah. I'm not sure. I think she may be going right to streamings, but so I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. And then the other thing that I watched that I just want to tout here for a second, and I know you're going to do one also, is that you've already seen Pretty Baby. Pretty Baby is the two part documentary on Brooke Shields. Now, because I'm, you know, I just turned 70, I can't believe it. But anyway, I remember Brooke Shields all through her entire career. Now, when I'm seeing behind the scenes, I knew her mother was an alcoholic. I mean, that was in the newspapers, whatever. But now watching her, this woman is a survivor of the nth degree of such abuse that it's shocking to me. That I now, I mean, I watched some of the interviews. I saw them in the 70s when they came out, and I didn't experience the interviews the same way I do now. And so I think you should watch Pretty Baby just yeah. in deference to the fact of what we did to this woman, you know, who went to Princeton, abused for going to Princeton. I mean, like whatever she did, it was, yeah. you know, not okay. Okay. So I would urge people to watch it. It's on Hulu and it's really, really good. That's great. That's I well, you sold me on it. Okay, well, I've seen it, but yeah, I want to. I, I, I actually, I don't know. Well, actually, I think men should watch it. Yeah, because and she talks about how she, you know, look, I was born with this face. From the moment I came out, I had a beautiful face. I mean, she owns it, and then she says, "But I wanted everybody to know all through my life that I was so much more than that." You know. Yeah. So anyway, it's really, really good. I highly recommend. Oh. it. What have you seen that you want people to go do in the last month? Well, um, I mean, I, as far as mo- movies, either way, TV or movie. Yeah, I mean, TV. If you ha- if somebody hasn't seen Poker Face yet, I haven't. What, tell oh me my that. God, it's so funny. It's kind of like 
it's kind of like a modernized uh, Columbo, although uh, that's not my idea. I mean, other people have mentioned that. But Natasha Leone is is the star. Oh, yeah. yeah, I like her. And she is, I mean, she, all she has to do is mumble something, mumble an aside, and she will have me laughing hard. I mean, she's just so funny. Where she is plays, it? Where, where is it? It's on uh, the Peacock Network. Oh, yeah, I like Peacock. And, and by she, the way, if you're not a member of Peacock, you can sign up and get it for a month free. So you can go watch it if you want to do a one-off. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, I'll tell you, this is, it's 10 episodes the first season. And I, I you know, I was watching them as quickly as I could. Uh, she plays a, a somebody who, because of Poker Face, it's like, she, when she, like, if I'm talking to you, if I'm her and you say a lie, she knows it. She knows if you're lying or not. So if she says, and they're murder mysteries. So if she says to you, did you kill so-and-so? She will know if you did or didn't because she has this Las Vegas mentality. She's a great poker player because she can read. She knows what people are I love this. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, it's, you know, I'm going to, this weekend, I'm definitely going to put that on my to-do list. you know, I, I, I haven't heard anything about it. It's funny. It hasn't gotten much. Oh, it's so good. And it's got great guest stars. It has uh, Adrian Brody was in the first episode. Nick, Nol- Nick Nolte had a big part in one. What's his name? Uh, Benjamin uh, Bratt is, was in a, is sort of an ongoing character. Ron Perlman. Bunch of people. Uh, Chloe Zavigny. It, it's I, I've not read it or seen it anywhere. Thank you for that. It's a great Oh, yeah. It's thing. great. It's so yeah. much fun. I'm such a big fan now. I haven't seen Russian Doll, which Natasha Leon was in, and I and uh, but I'm going to find it and watch it just based on how much. Yeah, I- it, she's excellent, excellent. Yeah. So, um, so this is our wrap up. Kim, God, this flew by, and we went a little longer than we normally do. We didn't even get to some of the stuff we want to get to. I can't thank you enough. What a great oh, sure. It's always I'm so, so much fun happy to, to be doing this with you, and I, you yeah. know, we're. Now, we'd love to hear what you thought. Any questions you have or anything you think we should be watching, let us know. Um, But we hope you have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Yeah, thank you.